Welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast exploring disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and on this episode, we'll be discussing the disastrous mountain climb of the Sierra Grande in the Peruvian Andes by Joe Simpson and Simon Yates in 1985. So, first, I just want to call out what this is based on. (laughs) You all have got it from the title, but it's based on Touching the Void, uh, both the movie and the book. So, pretty much all of the content is from those, uh, and then a few additional sources as well. Uh, I'll talk more about them at the end, but they're both excellent uh, and I highly recommend looking and reading both. So let's get into the story then. So Simpson and Yates were both experienced ice climbers and I spent loads of time like learning about ice climbing for this episode because I feel like on my other mountaineering episodes we've covered covered a lot of mountaineering by now right we've covered like camps and altitude sickness and all of that kind of thing if you've no idea what I'm talking about go back and listen to uh, the K2 episodes and the Mount Everest episodes but on this one I thought I'd start by talking about ice climbing Uh, which I think is pretty similar to what they have been doing in the other ones we talked about, but we just haven't gone into the detail. The climbers use crampons on their feet, which are basically like little sticky out spikes uh, that allow them to dig into the ice. And then ice axes, which they hold to and, and they basically like whack them into the ice. So the idea is that you chip your ice axe into the ice where you want to go and then you use them to kind of stabilize yourself uh, whilst you kind of push up through your legs and the idea is that the majority of the work should be done through the legs pushing the climber up uh, rather than it's not well I mean when I like see it I'm like oh you must need I mean you probably do need upper body strength which I don't have in order to do it but it but a lot of it should come from the, the big muscles uh, through through the legs uh, and the idea is that you you kind of stay in like an A shape. So you put the ice axes kind of up in the middle and then keep your legs wide in, in the shape of an A to, to keep you um, stable. And so usually the climbers will use ropes and will use ice screws to secure themselves to the face. And so we, I think I've covered rock screws before, but basically ice screws are exactly what they sound like. <laughs> they are screws that screw into ice. Uh, and the idea is that you screw them in and then you can thread your rope to, through it and then um, that will secure you, hopefully, <laughs> very, very close to, to where you want to be. Uh, and the the screws are generally very uh, strong and um, have a lot of grip on them as long as the ice that you are screwing into is is stable and is able to hold and maintain that ice screw. In ice climbing, as with other climbing, they use this concept of belaying. And belaying is basically this way of using ropes between people, but then also with the ice screws. So you're always connected to a rope and then that rope is connected to another person or connected to an ice screw. And the idea is that you will never fall further than the length of the unsecured rope. So you'll never have a kind of giant fall down. Uh, Your rope will always be secured at at quite short intervals. So if you do fall, you're just falling the the length of that bit of rope. You're You're not falling all the way down to the bottom, for example. And so that's really important in ice climbing and will be very important in our topic today. Then the other thing to note with ice climbing that makes it even more difficult, even though obviously it sounds very difficult already, um, is that ice and snow have like lots of different forms. So 
assessing the ice and assessing the snow and assessing like the stability of it and how strong it is and everything like that is one of the most important parts of ice climbing and it takes a lot of time to become experienced in terms of like understanding what the different types of ice mean and what the different types of snow mean so that you know where to put the ice screws you know what bits you should be able to climb which bits you need to avoid because it might crack and fall off uh, anything like that so that is really really key uh, and one of the most important things that you learn when you do ice climbing not that I've learned I actually just been on holiday in Scotland and we stayed right near the like Scotland national ice climbing center and I was like maybe I should go but I didn't um (laughs) maybe one day maybe one day I'll I'll attempt all of the stuff I talk about um anyway so yeah so that's obviously very stressful uh and very intricate that they need to understand Uh, And then obviously climbing has all of the other things that we've talked about, ice climbing does. So in terms of everything we've talked about is relevant here. So altitude sickness, cold, frostbite, all of that fun stuff uh, that we have talked about previously. So both Simpson and Yates were both very proficient climbers at this time. They were quite young. Uh, Simpson was 25 and Yates was only 21. And they were, yeah, very proficient and had climbed frequently through Europe. They hadn't done any super high mountains, so they hadn't done any of the 8,000s that we've talked about in our previous episodes, but they had climbed uh, lots of high mountains and had climbed them uh, independently and, and in small groups. And they basically headed to the Andes to try and climb peaks which haven't really been attempted before. They wanted to go somewhere where... The, the mountains were, were pretty empty, they had had new challenges and, and really just just something something new for them to do. And they really wanted to, to climb in areas that were unregulated and they almost liked the idea that no one was around to help them um, because obviously they were in the middle of nowhere and uh, they it wasn't like climbing in, in Europe potentially where you could call and, and hopefully get rescued from a mountain. So once uh, Simpson and Yates uh, arrived in the Andes, they were joined by a third person called Richard and he, uh, they met him and they basically paid him to wait with some of their gear at base camp. So they wanted someone to stay at their base camp and and look after their bits and pieces and then, uh, you know, feed them and give them tea when they get back, that type of thing. So Richard came with them uh, and they made it up to base camp. So they hiked for a couple of days from one of the nearest towns and set up a base camp. Uh, And from there, they did a few practice runs like we've talked about to try and get used to the altitude and get ready for the climb that they wanted to make. And these practice runs all went pretty well. They started to learn a lot more about the weather systems and the weather systems are very different in this part of the world compared to where they had climbed. And so it was very much trying to understand what was a harmless cloud, what was a cloud that was clearly going to turn into a storm, everything like that. Um, and I read on an article which I'll I'll link um, that it wasn't really a great time of year in terms of weather to be climbing uh, and there were potentially quite a big risk of, of storms in the area. were really keen to do their climb they wanted to climb the sierra grand sierra grande 
one of those. Um, they wanted to climb it and they wanted to climb uh, up the west face, which hadn't been climbed before. And so they had loads of photos of it and they had plotted out where, where they thought they were going to go previously uh, that would get them to the summit. So they had an idea of, of what they wanted to do. Eventually, it got around to the day that they were off to to start their climb. So they packed all the kit up and told Richard that they thought it would take about five days before they get back. And they had some jokes about how, you know, what happens if I don't come back, that kind of thing, which is always ironic. And um, they they all set off. Uh, they were carrying a lot of equipment because obviously they were planning to uh, hike for quite a few days and... As you will remember from Everest, they in Everest they like stock the base camp, so then you're not always climbing with a lot of stuff. And they also on like Everest and K2, you might have um, like a Sherpa or a guide who might carry a lot of the weight. But in this case, they were climbing solo; they were just climbing as a pair, and so they were carrying everything for themselves. And so because their bags were already really heavy, they basically went quite low on provisions so they first off they decided to leave their tents so that they decided that instead they would bivy bivouac on the slopes uh, and basically like dig themselves a snow cave uh, that they could then sleep in which would protect them from the wind which doesn't sound amazing but clearly does the job but they also kind of didn't take huge amounts of like food and water and gas to to melt snow that type of thing they they took enough to last in the five days that they were expecting so they set off on their journey and the climb up was generally pretty successful uh they bivied in their little snow caves uh for three nights but they eventually made it up to the summit there was a lot of different types of snow, as we talked about previously. Uh, they particularly had a lot of powdery snow, uh, which was not, which is more common in the Andes rather than in the Alps, and so it was it was kind of different and new for them. Um, and they were, it, it made it like a lot harder and a lot slower in order to actually progress, uh, which yeah made made their climbing quite difficult. Once they got to the summit, they then were obviously ready to do the descent. And how they were going to do the descent was different to the ascent. Uh, So instead of going down the same way, uh, they would descend in a different way down the western face. And this was expected to be an easier route down. It would get them down pretty quickly. And they yeah, were keen to get down and get back to base camp. So each climber took their turn leading the descent whilst roped to the other and through through the different ice screws as we've talked about. Uh, so one would go off and they would have a quite a long rope between them that they would use uh, in order to keep themselves connected to each other and then allow their safety. But the ice on the way down was quite unstable and there were a few close calls. So... What happened was, so at some point Yates fell down, that didn't go very well. Uh, there was there was clearly like quite a lot of accidents um, as they were going. But what eventually happened was Simpson, who was leading, uh, he came to an ice cliff, uh, which is uh, expected, and he decided to descend it rather than going around or anything like that. He decided to just descend and, and climb down it directly. Uh, and he was, uh, Yates was also climbing and the rope between the two of them was quite slack. So like we mentioned earlier, if you are belaying or belaying 
properly then you would only fall the the little bit of the rope but if the rope is slack then obviously you're going to fall a lot further and so he started climbing down but when he hit his ice axe into the ice uh, he felt a big crack and then the ice disintegrated and what happened is that Simpson then basically like plummeted down his crampons were caught in the ice and then he just smashed down right on his leg at the bottom and he immediately knew something was wrong. So immediately he was in absolute agony with his leg. And, you know, he just was like, oh, no, this is this is a death sentence, basically, because, you know, we've talked about it in our previous episodes. It's very hard to to potentially save people and to, to help people in, in this in this time. And especially when you're in an area which is so remote and where there isn't any additional help. Yeah, he he. He just at that point was like, well, that's it. I'm going to die. And he at first kind of thought like maybe his leg was okay. Maybe he just like bruised it. Um, But he had, in fact, just totally shattered his leg uh, all the way from his heel all the way up to his knee uh, and just broken it, broken the bone, cartilage, everything. And so, you know, it would be an absolute tragedy even on a busy mountain. But in the middle of nowhere... They both knew that this was not good um, and it was not, uh, yeah, not not a good time for them. Uh, and, and they didn't really know how to actually get down the mountain alive. And they were still about 3,000 feet up at this point when they were, yeah, making their way down. Uh, Yates, however, was totally willing to try everything to get them down. He was pretty reasonable through all of this. He gave Joe some paracetamol to to obviously try and help with the pain. Uh, And what they decided to do was was Simpson would basically be lowered by Yates. uh, And and they'd um, tie a rope to him and just lower him down the mountain, basically, because he couldn't walk. And so they had two really long ropes. They had two ropes of 150 feet. And so they tied them together to make a 300 foot rope. And what they would do is they would like carve out a bit of an ice bucket seat uh, in the in the mountain. Uh, Yates would sit on the seat uh, and then basically lower uh, Simpson down the mountain from that seat to, in order to keep stable. Uh, halfway uh, through the rope when it got to the knot between the two ropes uh, Simpson would stand up take the w- his weight off the rope the knot would pass and then they would continue going uh, and then once they got to the end of the 300 feet of rope uh, Simpson would start digging in the next seat um, for, for Yates to use and then Yates would uh, descend behind him and they would repeat the process over and over again basically And it did work pretty well. Uh, They made really good progress going down the mountain in this way. And they were quite, quite pleased and quite happy with how it was going. Uh, Suddenly it didn't quite seem as dire as maybe they thought it had at the beginning. Uh, However, as the light started to fade... It, it got darker, the weather got bad, uh, so they were rushing, uh, trying really hard to get down. They didn't want to wait out the weather because they didn't have that many supplies, so they were keen to just kind of keep going. And so the same thing started happening. Simon started lowering Joe down until suddenly the rope became really tight and it was clear to Simon that Joe had fallen. But at this point... He didn't really know what had happened to him because all he knew was that this rope was tied 
He obviously couldn't move from where he was because he was holding all of Joe's weight on him whilst he was sitting in the bucket seat. The rope was so long that they couldn't communicate with each other, so they couldn't actually hear each other and they didn't really know what was going on. But what had happened was that they had accidentally lowered Joe into a, like an ice cave crevasse type thing, basically like a big hole, in the ice. And he was basically just hanging in space. And so because of his like broken leg and everything like that, he was just hanging there and was unable to, he couldn't do anything. Like he couldn't, he couldn't reach the walls. He couldn't like stand up, obviously. He couldn't climb up the rope or anything like that because he was so injured. Yeah, he was just in a really bad way. And like neither of them knew what to do at this point. Joe was like, great, I'm hanging here. There's nothing I can do. Simon was like, oh God, I'm, you know, what? what's he doing? What am I meant to do? What happens now? And they kind of knew that the worst scenario potentially would be if if Yates tried to try to move because as soon as he moved, like he would inevitably be just pulled off the mountain because of just the 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 force that it had, and if he didn't have the the kind of grip that he had within the seat, so they were put in an impossible situation basically at this point, and they just didn't really know what to do. And so after thirty minutes, Yates made a decision. Which I think seemed like a reasonable choice. Uh, he basically, he, he knew he was being pulled out of this ice seat. He knew as soon as he got pulled out of this ice seat that he would fall to his death alongside Joe. Uh, he had done so much for Joe by this point. Like his hands were basically like totally frostbitten because from just sitting there and lowering the rope, he he just had no choice at that point. And so what he decided to do was he knew he had a knife in his backpack. So he got the knife and he decided to cut the rope. Uh, And what this would do was it would obviously let Joe fall uh, from wherever he was hanging um, and then uh, obviously free the rope between the two of them. And then Simon could continue, continue going down. And he... Yates got a lot of like grief and and controversy over this decision about what he did and and how he did it and and everything like that and I don't know to me to me it's you you've got to look after yourself in the, in that situation I think especially from what we've talked about previously in mountaineering episodes everything is different on the mountain and and looking after yourself is is an important thing to do I, I mean, I can't imagine being in his situation and having to make that decision. It's it's horrible. But yeah, as soon as the rope was cut, uh, Simpson started falling. But he actually didn't fall as far as he thought he would. Uh, so suddenly he hit some ice and there was basically this thin bridge of ice in the crevasse and he had managed to land on it, luckily. He'd, he'd hit, hit it as he went down. But he didn't really know what to do now at this point. He was alive. He was in this dark crevasse uh he didn't really know where it was he didn't have any strength left to climb out to climb up and out of the crevasse that he was in so he was just kind of stuck there and he knew that yates wouldn't would obviously assume he he had died as as you would uh, and probably wouldn't be able to find him he did you know try and yell and, and and create attention that kind of thing but but wasn't successful So Joe was stuck on the bridge and 
Yates, on the other time, on the other hand, was he was just so consumed with guilt at this point, which I can totally understand. I mean, imagine having to make that decision and then carry on and be like, "Oh my god, how has this happened?" So he was like consumed with guilt and continued <clears throat> the rest of his descent and slowly made his way back to base camp. He was totally convinced that Simpson had died at this point. And he did spend a bit of time trying to find his body, but it wasn't successful. And he just knew with his exhaustion and the uh, conditions around him that he just needed to make it back uh, to base camp. Otherwise, it was going to be really dangerous for him as well. And so he did eventually make it back to Richard, who clearly at that point knew that something bad had happened. Uh, and Joe just totally collapsed in exhaustion and, and still was suffering from that really bad frostbite uh, into base camp at this point. With Joe on the bridge at this point, eventually what he decided was that his only option would be to abseil further down. So he was like, no, I can't go up. I can't sit on this bridge and and die. Uh, so what I need to do is I need to try and uh, abseil down and see what would go on from there. So he tied his ropes and slowly started edging down into the crevasse. And luckily, eventually it became clear that not only was there a floor at the bottom, but to one side there was sunlight filtering in. So there was actually an exit from the bottom of the crevasse out onto the mountain. And, you know, he had totally gone from being utterly bereft and traumatized that this was the end to suddenly getting this kind of energy and, and excitement and positivity that actually he might be able to get himself out uh, and he might be able to pull himself up and out. Uh, so what he did was the exit was uphill, uh, but it wasn't vertical. Uh, so he was able to kind of slowly pull himself up with his with his ice axes and his one one leg and kind of crawl all the way up and out of the crevasse uh which was you know is an amazing feat that he managed to 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 fall to fall onto the onto the bridge then to go down to the bottom of the uh, bottom of the floor and then oh anyway all of it just it's all it's all amazing at, at this point and when he got outside he was initially like like this is amazing uh, and he had such relief that he had succeeded but soon it became really clear that he had no supplies uh, and it was still six miles away from base camp and help so really it was very much just the start of his journey some footprints which which would take him back and he started following them and he basically tried to follow like a rhythmic pattern of 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 crawling uh, and somehow how he managed to do all this I don't know he managed to find that strength within himself to to begin crawling back to base camp and he was making really slow progress obviously um as he just dragged himself along uh, and he had to it did take him over two nights he had to stop twice to sleep uh, and for both of those, he managed to dig dig a small snow cave uh, where he could protect himself from the wind and cold. How? I don't know. <laughs> um, but he, he did that and then he continued on. Uh, he obviously had the agonizing pain 
Uh, but he also kind of combined with like hallucinations and exhaustion. He was totally dehydrated by this point, didn't have any water or any gas in, in which to make water. And I was reading about eating snow and about how eating snow doesn't really hydrate you because of obviously like the energy output that you have to do in order to melt the ice in order to get the amount of water. It's not really a way of keeping yourself hydrated. So even though he was surrounded by snow uh, because he didn't have any gas in which to melt it. Uh, it wasn't really a viable way of him rehydrating. So he was just, everything combined was just horrendous. What he eventually decided to do was he eventually managed to splint the bad leg and he took one of his like sleeping mats and kind of wrapped it around the leg uh, and that allowed him to hop and and kind of hop all the way towards uh, towards base camp and that really helped to increase his pace. Luckily at that point as well, as he got closer and closer to base camp, uh, he reached uh, some freshwater springs uh, and could finally take a drink again. So whilst all this was happening, time was getting tight for Richard and Simon to leave base camp. They obviously couldn't stay there forever. Simon wanted to because he was obviously so depressed and upset by the entire situation, but they had to go down. They had to inform uh, Joe's family what happened and tell the authorities and everything like that and Richard was really keen to leave like then he, you know that afternoon he was like yeah we've got to go we've got to go but but Simon was like no I'm not yet we'll go first thing tomorrow morning so they said okay we'll go first thing tomorrow morning and that was the decision that they made and so the next day the next morning they got up and they started packing up base camp and preparing to leave when suddenly they heard someone yelling and amazingly, only literally a few hours before they were due to leave, Joe had finally made his way back to base camp. And obviously, Simon and Richard at this point were totally astounded because not only did he survive the fall, he survived like getting his way through the cave, he then survived the, the whole journey back. And they were just like astounded, but he was in such a bad state at this point. So they immediately gave him help, uh, gave him food, rest, medication. They took like his his splint off and his trousers off to look at the leg and it sounds horrific. Uh, and they, they, you know, could see how, how really he was in a really terrible way and really needed to get to hospital very quickly. And actually at this point, you know, Joe had managed to do everything that we've talked about so far, like he'd managed to find those reserves of strength in, in himself, which I'm sure not many of us could. But at this point, once he had kind of got to, to somewhat safety, he just lost all his energy at that point, which is totally understandable. And he really just wanted to sleep and, and stay at base camp. But Simon and Richard knew that they had to get him to a hospital and they had to do it quickly because otherwise, you know, he might die from his injuries. He was very close to death already. They had to had to get him get him to safety. So they worked with some local people and they got a mule and they basically strapped Joe onto it. Uh, and because it was a two day walk, like I mentioned, from base camp back to the nearest town and that two days sounded horrendous in terms of 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 joe and and his leg and having to sit on this mule that was just going all over the place in order to get him back but they made it back to uh, the hospital to sorry to the town and then from the town they had to still take another car drive uh, to the hospital in lima 
Uh, and obviously the trip was totally agonizing, uh, but he did finally make it to the hospital and finally got help um and they did yes finally get him sorted so it, i mean overall it's just a happy ending right <laughs> which there is not probably not many of on this podcast um but in this case uh, everything went wrong but actually uh, they did manage to get themselves out of it at the end and it is it is just an amazing feat of endurance an amazing feat of survival so joe ended up having to have six separate operations on his leg and they told him basically that he would likely never climb again. Uh, but he totally managed to prove them wrong and was climbing soon after. But the mental effects, obviously, from a incident like that uh, would last a lot longer. And he did stuff, suffer with PTSD, which he, he has, has managed to get through. And since this, he has written the book and the film, which we'll talk about. Uh, and now he mainly works as a motivational speaker and he tells his story to others uh, and also now works as an author as well. Uh, and he's got another couple of mountaineering books, which I'd definitely like to read after this one. Like I said, there's a lot of analysis after the fact when this story was told to a wider audience. And there was a lot of criticism of Simon and his decision and, and what he went through. But in reality, it was the only option he had. And, and I find it hard to really understand what, what the argument is the other way, to be honest. It doesn't make sense. But most importantly, Joe fully understands what Simon did and fully agrees with the decision that he made. That That is what matters at the end of the day. In Joe's reflections at the end of the book, he actually links you know he reflects on on the on the whole saga and and why it happened and he links uh, some of the problems to actually the fact that i mentioned earlier that they were not carrying full provisions and they weren't carrying those extra extra provisions like enough gas and food and so when it did start getting dark and the weather started getting bad instead of like pitching a tent and just waiting it out until they had a nice clear day that they could continue on with. Uh, they really felt the need to rush down in the dark. And that really impacted the decisions that they made. And they were dehydrated. They had altitude, like we talked about. And it it just generally would mean that they, they were making, yeah, bad decisions at that point. So yeah, that's, that's the story of Joe Simpson and Simon Yates on the Sierra Grand. Obviously, it's in terms of what we learn, I think it's very much around that last point around the, just carrying extra provisions and carrying enough equipment with you is so important because it just means that it gives you the ability to make smarter decisions and to make different decisions that they could do in that scenario. It just gives options, right, at the end of the day. And that is is just something that's super important uh, and one that is applicable not just for mountaineering even if you offer a hike take water take a phone take things so that you know uh, that you're going to be safe basically so yeah like i mentioned touching the void by joe simpson excellent book uh, it covers this in a lot more detail than what i've done including all of the different stages, uh, both up and down the mountain. Uh, and it's a really insightful read. It has loads of photos of the mountain and of both of them, uh, which are really interesting to see. So I highly recommend giving that a read. 
There is also Touching the Void, which is a kind of like docudrama. Uh, and it, again, is really, really good. And it's really worth a watch. It, it goes through the entire thing and it really brings it to life in terms of, of being able to see it happen and actually just showing exactly where it where it did take place and and the the conditions and, and just it just brings it all to life um, as, as much as you would ever want. Uh, so highly recommend both of those. Uh, and then I will also leave uh, some other references and bits and pieces I read in the references as well. So yeah, thank you very much for listening. Uh, you can find me over on Instagram at when it goes wrong pod. Uh, love to see you there. You can also email me at when it goes wrong pod at gmail.com. I would love to hear what you think about this story. I'd love ideas for future episodes. And I'd love, did you like a happy ending? <laughs> Is that, is that nice? Should I try and do more of them? Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of good survival stories out there, so I'll keep my eyes peeled for some of them as well. 